0: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 254, Endurance Cycle Racing with Gina Clear. My friends, happy Monday to you. Hope you had a delightful weekend. I know that we did. We managed to get in some really fun mountain biking a little bit south of Boulder, and that was with Travis and his son Harley, and me and my two guys, Luke and Daniel. It was wonderful. You know, it's rare that we get this kind of weather this early in Colorado, but we did this season And so we're trying to take advantage of it. Hope that you had a wonderful weekend as well. Today's featured vendor from the Adventure Sports Podcast discount member site is John Fielder. John Fielder is Colorado's premier nature photographer. He has done dozens and dozens and dozens of projects over many years where he's documented the amazing beauty of Colorado's natural scenery and John Fielder has just beautiful works of art. He has a gallery set up where you can go and purchase, obviously, these amazing works that he has created over the years. And he's offering 20% off if you go through our members' site. So remember, you can help support the show, save a lot of money in the process, and we are bringing great adventure sports related vendors to you. We thank you in advance for becoming a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast Members site. Now, on with the show. I have a special guest with us today, Gina Clear. And Gina is from the UK. She grew up working with horses, and there is an event that caused her to lose her horse, and she took up cycling And I'm going to get into the details of this because it's a really great story. But she actually became the female soloist winner for the 2016 Revolve 24, which is an endurance cycling race that uh, is just really, really cool. You guys are going to hear about this. So anyway, Gina is going to tell us about cycling. And now she's planning on doing the race across America, which some people say is the hardest cycling race in the world. So, Gina, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Kurt. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you bet. Our pleasure, certainly. So, Gina, cycling has become a passion of yours, and it wasn't the first thing you did in life. You adopted this a little bit later on, after you had had quite a a career working with horses. So, how did you get into cycling?
1: Well, I was 32 when I took up cycling, and basically, I'd lost my horse, who was absolutely the love of my life and had taken up many years of my life, And he broke his leg, so I had to have him put to sleep. Mm. And I needed something to do because I'd become unfit and unhealthy. Um, And my maintenance man at work told me about the cycle to work scheme. So I looked it up, and basically it's a government um, loan by your employer. It's an interest-free loan, and it allows you to purchase a bike or biking kit, depending on whether you've got a bike or not, and pay it off over a series of months. So I decided that that was going to be something that I'd like to do just basically so I could ride backwards and forwards to work so I was expecting that I'd be doing sort of three and a half miles each way four days a week backwards and forwards to work but within a couple of weeks my husband suggested to me that maybe I'd like to join a club to um, make some friends because I'd lost all my friends in the horse world basically in the horse world you only have time for horses and if if the person isn't a horsey person then you don't really have time to see them (laughs) it's a bit sad but unfortunately true um, so basically we we bought the bike he said to me join a club I didn't even know anything about cycling clubs so literally I just googled cycling clubs and up came a local club which um, is my club, Essex Roads and so I rocked up on the first day to their novice ride because they run a novice ride once a month and I thought I was the biz because I had my, my new bike and I thought I was really good. And I was really shocked to see so many cyclists there. There were about 60 cyclists, all in wow. different groups. And I didn't realize at the time, but I thought that, you know, I was I was all, all dressed up and I wasn't at all. I was missing gloves. I didn't have any glasses. I had a helmet that suited mountain bike riding. And um, I didn't even have any clipping pedals. I literally, I had toe clips and that was it. So I turned up. I went out on the ride. Um, it was it was really exciting I really enjoyed it and I managed to stay quite near the front despite the fact that I had very inadequate clothing (laughs) um and it just sort of it became a, a bug basically it was like an addiction so I went back on the second week and it was absolutely brutal the second week because they only hold the novice ride once a month but I really loved the challenge and I just about hung on to the back of the ride Because I'd only just hung on, I decided that I was going to ride solo in the following weeks and sort of build up my speed and fitness. And soon I found I was doing 100 miles a week with my commuting and pleasure riding.
0: Congratulations, that's awesome.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Cycling took over my life and it filled the void that the horses had left behind. And also it took up all my money as well. I thought cycling was going to be a cheap sport, but it wasn't at all. There's always something new to buy. I booked uh, my first sporty within a couple of months of actually getting the bike and it was 60 miles and I remember saying to my husband the night before do you think I'll make that distance and we always laugh about that now because whenever I'm worried or nervous about a ride he always reminds me of that and these days I can knock out 60 miles before work (laughs) Um, and I completed that first sportive despite running over a cat which was a bit traumatic oh no I was about 50 miles into it I know. It ran out in front of me and um, unfortunately it caused me to go over the handlebars and I hit the tarmac quite seriously. But I didn't realise at the time quite how seriously it was. I mean, even to the point where it cracked my helmet in several places. (laughs) So I got back on the bike and I carried on and um, I came in with a gold time and that was absolutely me hitched. I do probably, I don't know, 20, maybe 30 events each year, um, sportive-wise and so that was the end of 2014. And in 2015, I started upping my mileage. I was doing a hundred mile sportifs. Um, and then I went on and sort of pushed it a bit further and did sort of 150 miles. My first 150 mile ride, I went out with some friends and we did a, like a three leaf clover shaped ride. So we were always close to home and never that far away in case we couldn't make it. And for me, it's all really just about pushing the boundaries. So Quite often these days I'll go for rides overnight, I'll leave at midnight for my home and I'll meet my husband wherever he's go-karting. So, for example, in October I did a ride to Dorset, which is about 190 miles, and I did that overnight on my own. Um, and it's, it's really just about pushing that distance for me all the time. So I'm never contented with just, just being me. Um, I, I have to push and I have to sort of break those boundaries. At the moment, I'm currently training between 25 and 30 hours a week, and I do between three and 400 miles a week. Um, some of those are done on the indoor trainer, because obviously you, you get more training on an indoor trainer, because you don't have to worry about the weather, and you don't have to worry about the cars on the road. But a lot of time a week is spent on the road. I just love it. I'm absolutely addicted to it.
0: Wow, that's, that's an amazing story. You know, a couple of bullet points that I picked up there is that a, a lot of bikers start biking In their 20s or even in their teens and it kind of becomes their sport but you started it at the age of 32 that's not old but that's amazing that you got into a sport and became this excellent at it that quickly i think that's impressive
1: i wouldn't necessarily count myself as excellent i do just count myself as an ordinary person who's quite driven and motivated and i feel like um i'm not you know an elite athlete but I've conditioned my body to the t- over time to be able to do it. So, for example, this year I'm I'm doing London, Edinburgh, London, which is what's known as an Aldax. Um, I believe you've got Aldax over there as well. Um, and basically it's 900 miles, and Aldaxes aren't necessarily about speed, they're about, enjoying the ride as well so there's a time limit of six days now i want to be knocking that out in three days so i'll be doing 300 miles of riding each day which will be my build up for ram which i will be qualifying for later in the year
0: that's that's that those are some really impressive distances so you mentioned leaving home at midnight to meet your husband and i have to ask um riding That long without sleep or with very little sleep, which you'll be doing on the Race Across America, certainly. How does that feel? How does that impact you?
1: Um, Well, one of the reasons I started taking up the night riding was to practice for events like Revolve. Um, I'm also doing Le Mans later in the year, which is a 24 hour event. And basically, Riding through the night is quite difficult. It's quite lonesome at times. And even when you're on a track with other competitors, it's quite lonesome. But I should imagine in um, Ram, obviously, you've got your follow car behind you, but you are really out in the wild there on your own. I find it a little bit difficult at times. So the first year that I did Revolve 24, I actually did it as a six-person team. So we did stints of half an hour. And one of my stints, obviously, was through the night because the deal is that everyone must ride through the night. And I remember being out on the track and I saw this person in front of me with no lights on. Brands Hatch is unlit, so obviously you rely on your lights entirely. And I remember slamming on the brakes thinking I was going to hit this person only to realise that actually it was the person behind me with their lights on, making my shadow show up in front of me. (laughs) So it does play with your mind. And that's why I practice it a lot. Um, I think as well that sometimes it can be quite spooky so um a little while ago i rode down to dorset and i had to ride through richmond park and it was about three o'clock in the morning when i got to richmond park and basically it was very very foggy and there are a lot of deer in richmond park so all i could see were these antlers lining the path through oh so my i was quite nervous if i'm like i didn't know if they were going to attack me or not so i sung my whole way through richmond park which actually is a good few miles <laughs> <laughs> but you have to do what you have to do to get through
0: i think i remember a scene from the sound of music like that
1: i can't say i've ever seen it but um, <laughs> i believe you
0: <laughs> well that's fun well how did it change your life when you took up cycling
1: well it it got me out of the house and it made me realize just how determined um i am and how i set a goal and i i always always strive to achieve that goal i don't do failure i live my life by the fact that winners never quit and quitters never win and i think for me cycling has taken me to some really really dark places at times um places where i don't know where i am because i do a lot of long distance routes and i work just by gps and unfortunately occasionally gps runs out of battery and suddenly you're in an area where you don't know and that's really dark when you know that you've still got a few hours ahead especially when someone's expecting you to arrive at some point point. Um, and even if I'm not meeting my husband I always obviously message home to say that I'm okay and it made me realize just how much I can overcome and how strong I am mentally
0: yeah that's a that's impressive I think that is one of the biggest values of adventure sports and we've said it time and time again But when we challenge ourselves and we stretch ourselves and we we end up in that place that's a little bit uncomfortable, I mean, that's the definition of adventure. But that is what allows us then to grow and find out what we're capable of. And it changes who we are as a person. Wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. It's so satisfying. And I know that sounds almost a little bit perverse, but it's so satisfying to have reached that point where you you feel like you can't go on and then you push past it and you do go on and you're successful. And I, I just love that feeling. I love that adrenaline rush when you're not really sure that you're going to make it. And then that adrenaline rush at the end when you realize how much you've achieved.
0: Oh, yeah. Very rewarding stuff. No doubt. Well, I want to come back and talk about Revolve 24. But before we do, I would like to hear a little bit about your days working with the horses. You did dressage. Tell us what that is and and a little bit of your story about that.
1: I believe they call um, dressage equitation in America. So it's um, a little bit about almost like dancing with horses. And the beauty of it is that it, it takes a real relationship with a horse to be able to get it to move in the way that you require it to and to be able to do those Uh, movements in such a precise way so dressage competitions are marked by at least one judge sometimes you may have two or three and they are looking for accuracy they're looking for harmony so it's a really it's not an exciting sport to the onlooker but it's an exciting sport to take part in because obviously controlling a ton of horse is actually quite a difficult job so I really I've loved horses all my life and I desperately wanted to have riding lessons. But um, at the time, my, both my brothers were at university because there's a big age gap in our family and money was tight and we had a big mortgage. So it took a while to actually get lessons. But I finally got them when I was 10 years old and I used to work at the stable yard at the weekends and after school. So I used to shred paper for the horse's bedding because um, in the UK we, we bed on paper. It's just a cheap way of doing it, basically. And uh, it wouldn't even be allowed now because I used to shred paper on this shredder with an open blade as a Uh (laughs) 10-year-old. I'm sure that's definitely not allowed now. Um, But I was that determined that I just wanted to ride. And so basically, I used to pay for my rides by by working. And my mum and dad would pay for a ride for me once a week as well. And it took until I was 17 to actually get my first horse, which my dad bought for me. And he was called Mr. Darcy. (laughs) and he he, we bought him cheaply because he was destined for the meat man Um, he had a terrible nature he he hurt people left right and center and he was at the time he was two and a half and completely unbroken so I produced him myself and we went on to compete locally and nationally Um, he he won some amazing things and luckily I mean his only saving grace was that he was good in the show ring because everywhere else he wasn't good Um, how I never killed myself I don't know and people quite often said that to me which was a little bit worrying i suppose in that respect um unfortunately he was a bit of a fighter and that was his demise so he broke his leg in the field and we did everything we could to uh, fix him um and we'd even talked about things like um well we we cast the leg and we talked about things like remedial shoeing if he ever came sound again. Because my husband is actually a farrier so that's how i met my husband through the horses and um, it just it wasn't to be basically so he left this massive void in my life and and that's where the cycling came in it just filled a time gap and it was never really supposed to be this obsession but it's sort of taken over from the horse obsession i think
0: (laughs) that's a beautiful story the whole story is beautiful to take an animal that was kind of wild and testy and difficult and then to have that much success, it took a lot of dedication on your part, a lot of investment of your own time and energy and heart, I'm sure.
1: The thing with me is that I, I never do things by half and I'm probably, I suppose you could describe me as um, slightly obsessive. <laughs> um, I, I get these sort of addictions about things and I, I always want to be the best. I'm never contented with just being me. And whilst I'm no superstar, and I don't ever think that I am a superstar, that it, it's about just bettering me. So even if I only ever got to someone else's mediocre level, as long as I'm better, I'm happy.
0: So how do you think that your experience doing dressage with Mr. Darcy, how do you think that that helped you to to become a better biker? I know there had to be some benefits there.
1: I think it, it taught me patience um, and it taught me sort of a determination and a dedication so I've, I've always been like that from a young age because I had the horses and I've also from a young age I've had to give up lots of things to have the horses and it's kind of the same with biking so because obviously I cycle sort of 25 to 30 hours a week I also work um, virtually full-time I'm very lucky that my work have condensed my hours into three and a half days so that helps a lot um, and I also help look after my dad um, who's got late stages of dementia. Mm. So I think the, the horses taught me that from a young age, that if you want things, you do have to be prepared to give up other things. If you want them to extreme, that is. I mean, obviously, if you, you, know, if you just want to bike at the weekends and enjoy it, then you wouldn't need to do that. But I do have to sacrifice quite a lot in other ways. Um, and I also have a lot of support. So my husband, I've got two stepchildren, one who's 20 and one who's nine. And my husband does all the childcare. He looks after the house for me. And he gives me that time to sort of dedicate to cycling. So I am really lucky. I do have lots of help as well.
0: Wow. Your husband is uh, is really contributing then. That's really cool. But what a busy schedule. You just hardly have time to sleep.
1: I'm thinking about giving up sleeping. It's overrated.
0: <laughs> well, you are going to give up a lot of sleeping when you do the Race Across America. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and splitboarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bent Gate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check BentGate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180 taccom or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Let's come back and talk about Revolve 24, because this is an amazing event. I have just a tiny bit of text I want to read about this, and then you can tell us all about it. But it says that the event offers a perfect combination of smooth asphalt, arduous climbs, exhilarating descents, and supportive festival atmosphere. Um, This is a, a race where you go for 24 hours, if you choose. They have shorter versions, but you go for 24 hours to see how far you can go. And so you're on a track that's a loop, correct?
1: Yes. So you're on the main track. Um, So there are two tracks actually at Brands Hatch. There's one called the Peanut, which is a shorter track, or there's the main track. And they don't use the main track very often because of noise restriction. But obviously with the cycling, that's not an issue. It's absolutely the most amazing event that I've ever done. So I did it the first year when it came around in 2015 as a six-man team. And then I went solo for it last year it's just got an amazing atmosphere I can't even begin to tell you how wonderful it is and the competitors are so nice, there's lots of camaraderie, you all share peak lane garages, so you sort of get to know people really intimately in that 24 hours Um, the encouragement from the other competitors is absolutely phenomenal and there's a huge range of people that take part, from serious cyclists to those just looking to challenge themselves and people who have little experience in cycling but want to raise money for good causes. So, although it sounds really daunting, it's actually not at all. Mm. I only um, sort of planned to do the solo uh, this year because I wanted to test out, oh, sorry, last year, I wanted to test out what riding for 24 hours was like. So, I never sort of went with the idea that I was going to win it. I, in fact, I really didn't think I was going to win it because there were lots of other experienced ladies there such as the reigning champion from 2015 so I just I literally went with the plan of enjoying the atmosphere and doing the best that I could do
0: and it seems to me that you did quite the feat here I mean you cycled in 24 hours 497 kilometers and the vertical feet gain was almost 29,000 feet so we're talking about going 497 kilometers, almost 500 kilometers, and almost biking from sea level to the top of Mount Everest. That's impressive.
1: It was like nothing I've ever done before. So in the run-up to the event, I did something called the Tilna Challenge, um, which is a charity ride. And basically, it's you can ride as many or as little miles as you want over or up to 15 hours. So I did that as part of my training, and I rode 225 miles in... 13 hours but that was only 10,000 feet of climbing so that was sort of the nearest I'd got to actually doing this when I got to the event I just broke it down into three hour stints I'd I'd read somewhere that someone had said 24 hour competition is only one day out of your life and (laughs) I sort of tried to think of it like that rather than worry about it being such a long time and when I broke it down into three hour chunks it just seemed to absolutely fly by And I'm a bit of a diesel engine, really. I'm not much of a speed merchant, but I can just go and go and go. And I guess that's where my talent lies in that respect.
0: Mm. Well, I have done 12-hour rides several times, but I have never dreamed of 24. I can't imagine how exhausting that would be.
1: It wasn't as bad as you'd think it would be. Um, I didn't really suffer very much from it. In fact, I was back on the bike the next day. I did have a bit of a loss of power. It probably took me about a week to sort of regain any real power in cycling but the on the tuesday so the day after after um, revolve sorry two days after revolve i actually rode another century ride
0: wow well you're teaching your body how to do the long distance no doubt about that so in the race across america there's going to be a lot more long distance describe that race to us well
1: that race is Really, the pinnacle of ultra cycling, I think. Uh, basically, it's 3,000 miles, and I'd be looking to do it as a soloist. Um, I'm looking to do it in 2019, so I'll qualify for it this year and then defer it a year to get um, some funding together. Basically, it starts in California, crosses 12 states, and climbs 175,000 feet, um, going through three major mountain ranges, and finishes in Maryland. It's about thirty percent longer than the Tour de France, and you have about half the time to complete the distance um within the distance, and there's no rest days so realistically, I'll be looking at riding about three hundred miles a day because I'd like to knock it out in um ten days. The only British lady to complete it so far, um Shu, she completed it in twelve days and nine hours, but I want to beat that obviously
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds amazing, and so it's it's going to be similar to doing almost the revolve 24 but every day day after day for for 12 days
1: it will be similar but apparently um revolve has slightly more climbing per mile than um uh, ram does so i might just have to book out brands hatch for a few days and see what it's like
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think i've i watched a movie about one of the ran races and thoroughly enjoyed it um I think that the biggest challenges that they were reporting on this documentary, there were the days in the mountains with the vertical you know, change, and that's always challenging, especially at altitude, and the cold that was involved. But it was going across the Great Plains with headwinds. That seemed to be the thing that just wore people down. And uh, in my experience, because I did quite a bit of biking in the Great Plains, when that headwind is there, it's just relentless And I think that might be the bigger challenge of the race.
1: I definitely think you're right. So I did um, the Tour of Cambridge last year, which is an 88-mile road race. It's actually a qualifier for the um, Amateur World Road Championships in Perth, or it was in Perth last year. I did that, and then I made the mad mistake of saying I would cycle home. Now, I thought the tour of cambridgeshire ended in cambridge but it doesn't it ends in peterborough so i then had um just over 100 miles to cycle home after this race
0: oh. <laughs>
1: and basically i had to cycle through cambridge and that's all fenland around there and that was cycling into a headwind the whole way home um it was soul destroying it was like cycling through treacle but it was very um sort of exhilarating when i finally made it home i think it was about quarter to one in the morning
0: <laughs> wow you know, when we used to ride out in the wind like that in the Great Plains, um, we would set up a pace line. And usually there were about five of us. And so we would take turns, you know, breaking the wind in the front and then drop back and let, let other people break the wind for us and draft them. And that made it so much easier. But on the race across America, you may or may not have anyone around to share the, the pain with. It could just be you against the wind.
1: I'm expecting it just to be me, um, and that's what I'm training for. So I do a lot of my rides solo now. I do go out with my club on a Sunday, and occasionally I go out on a Thursday evening. But the rest of the time, my rides are generally done solo. Um, I never choose my rides by the wind direction, uh, because I believe that, obviously, you can't always control these things. So it's better to be up for anything and trained for anything than to sort of allow yourself to come into a false sense of security so yeah i'm expecting to meet those wins head-on on on my own um, and i will just persevere no matter what i will make it to the other side
0: i believe you will (laughs) i really do i can (laughs) i can hear your determination and i really believe with all endurance sports that being physically fit is a, a big part of the game. that matters but what matters even more is having the mental stamina to keep going when everything else is saying stop but I can hear that in your voice. You have that determination.
1: I am. Um, I have that determination in everyday life. So I, I actually work for Tesco's and I run an internet shopping department. And I'm constantly, I, well, I enjoy it because I'm constantly spinning plates, crisis managing. And no matter what, no matter how bad the situation is, we always get those deliveries out and we always make our customers happy. And that's kind of the same way I feel about cycling. No matter what, I will achieve it. Um, I don't believe that in failure, failure is not an option.
0: Mm. And you know what? <laughs> you're not a full-time cyclist. You're working full-time. You have kids. You have a husband. You have a life. And yet you're still pursuing these amazing races and doing it successfully. So, man, hats off to you and for the example that you're setting for everyone else who just says, I'm too busy, I, I couldn't do it. You're proving it can be done.
1: It- it is difficult at times but as i said i'm very very lucky my husband does look after me very well um and my work is also really good because i'm able to condense my hours into three and a half days a week they're long days but they are three and a half days a week um i also sometimes have to take phone calls whilst i'm out on the bike which is a touch annoying but sometimes necessary um and it's the time is there if you make it. Life is what you make it. Life isn't a guided journey. Um, and if you want something, you just have to go for it. And that's what I'm doing.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, congratulations for that. Really, really cool stuff. Let's talk a minute about your bike. What type of a bike are you riding now? And uh, w- is this the bike that you're going to use with the Race Across America?
1: Um, well, I'm hoping to if I don't break it beforehand. So my main bike at the moment is a Specialized Venge. So it's quite aggressive. Um, it's all carbon. Um, and it's it's a very, very fast bike. The downsides are, though, that obviously it is an aero bike. And into a headwind, it does seem to become infinitely heavier. Mm. But I'm absolutely... I love the bike. I was told when I bought it that it wouldn't be suitable for endurance events because of the aggressive nature of the position. But I'm so comfortable on it, I, I really can't imagine that I'd be any more comfortable on anything else. Um so, as I said, I was told that it wouldn't be suitable for endurance rides, but I didn't suffer at all on Revolve. I, I had a few aches and pains, but just purely the same sort of aches and pains I would have had if I'd sat in the same position in a chair for all that time.
0: Right, right. So it's a little bit more aggressive frame geometry, probably a stiffer ride, kind of quick to turn, but light and fast. That sounds like fun.
1: It reminds me a little bit of a hot rod car,
0: <laughs> is the only way I can describe
1: it. She jumps around at the front a lot. Uh, she's quite twitchy and nervous, but she is incredibly exciting. So, uh, last summer I did uh, the London Revol uh, sorry the London Revolution, which is uh, basically a very large loop around London. It's one hundred and eighty five miles. Uh, there's a massive hill in it, and I actually joined the fifty mile an hour club going down that hill on the bike. She's amazing. <laughs> she makes me smile every time I take her out. I just I absolutely love her. She, you know, she's just I oh, I can't even begin to tell you how much I love her. Unfortunately, though, I have had a couple of issues with the frames, uh, but Specialized have been really wonderful to me, and they've um, covered it all under warranty. So on the first frame, I had a paint chip back to the carbon, and they very kindly upgraded me to an S-Works frame, which was rather nice. And on the second one, I had some damage around the internal cable where the lug is for the cables to go in. And so they've just replaced it with another frame. So I've been really lucky. I've had three frames in a year.
0: That's amazing. So, will you have a backup bike for the race across America?
1: Absolutely. So, at the moment, I'm currently running um, a specialised delay. I'm a bit of a specialised girl. Um, A specialised delay is my backup bike. I am looking to upgrade that next year, though, to the tarmac. Um, This bike, to be fair, I've had her, she was my original bike I bought in 2000, well, the end of 2014, and she's done just shy of 22,000 miles, which for a 700 pound bike, you can't moan about.
0: And when you say 700 pounds, you're talking dollars, not weight. How much does it weigh?
1: <laughs> she weighs probably about 10 kilos, the LA, whereas the Venge is probably about six and a half kilos unladen. So there's wow. a massive difference.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So a little bit heavier of a bike than a lot of the speed races might use, actually.
1: But I'm used to carrying the weight around with me, Um you know, it's, it, she's a very dependable bike. She's nowhere near as exciting as Avenge. But she goes over virtually any train without any any real issues. Um, when I say any train, obviously, I mean road train, not off-road. But she's she's just much heavier in front, much more dependable. Um, it, you know, not as exciting, but still a good, dependable and solid bike.
0: Ah, oh, wonderful. And it sounds like with the distances that you're doing, that it, it might be the right bike for you, certainly. You need something dependable like that.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. I can't afford any dramas. Um, I have been taking some maintenance lessons. So I'm very lucky that a bike shop in the UK um, helped me. They sponsor me and they've been giving me maintenance lessons as well. So I will be able to fix any any sort of, um, well, any issues that happen out on the road, because obviously a lot of the stuff I do is unsupported. I need to know that I'm going to be able to make it at least to another bike shop or to a hotel.
0: Yeah, and when you're going across the Great Plains of the U.S., <laughs> that could be a challenge. It could be a long way to the next bike shop.
1: It certainly could, although I shall be bringing my mechanic with me, who is my <laughs> trusting mechanic to help me out of the bowl.
0: So I have to say, some people, Gina, they look at this sort of a thing and they don't get it. They're like, why? There are other people who hear about it and their heart starts to beat. They're just like, I have got to try that. But why do you do it and why would you encourage other people to try it if they have an interest?
1: So I started cycling, one, um, to just become a bit more healthy and a little bit fitter because obviously I'd lost my horse. I wasn't doing anything. Um, I also did it because i wanted a bit more of a social life and i guess both those things would appeal to anyone no matter what level they want to cycle at but i also do it because it is absolutely an amazing stress relief so my dad's in the advanced stages of dementia and it's been a really difficult time as a family for us i'm very close to my family over the past few years it's almost like a continual process of grieving for him and the person that he was Mm. because he's constantly changing um So for me, being able to put my helmet on and just forget about what goes on at home is just absolutely amazing. I love the feel-good factor it gives you. I love the adrenaline kick it gives me. And I guess, well, I know that happens with all levels of cycling. That's not just about long-distance cycling because it's very much each to their own. Some people would just not you know enjoy spending hours and hours uh, of the time on their own in their own company but for me i really love that 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 is a big thing for me just being able to forget everything but i think really cycling can appeal to everyone because there are so many benefits of it also you know the toning of your body i've lost a stone in weight since i've done it I'm far fitter than I ever was when I was riding horses. Even when I was riding three or four horses a day, um, my fitness level is just completely different now.
0: I can imagine. Yeah, that. those are really good reasons to take up any adventure sport. But I think that biking is particularly good at bringing about physical fitness. It just seems like it's, it's one of the ones that really works with the human frame.
1: It's done absolute wonders for me, so um, I'm actually now considering doing an Ironman as well, which is a little bit out there, I know, um, because I've been swimming and running as part of my training plan. And whereas before, when I had the horses, I couldn't, I couldn't have run half a mile, let alone a mile. You know, now I can, I can run four or five without any issue. Um, so it's, it's opened up a whole other world of sport to me as well. So I've been really lucky, really. I just, it, the, the positive sides of it. Are, you know, cycling is just amazing. There is no two ways about it, What I can say about
0: it. So an Ironman, wow, that's another goal that would be amazing. And I don't know. I think uh, an Ironman triathlon is crazy, you know, because of what it requires. But I'm not sure it would be any crazier than the race across America. I mean, the race across America goes on for day after day after day after day after day. After day.
1: Well, exactly. I look at it this way. They say that um a hundred miles for so a century ride is equivalent to running a marathon. So in theory, that's like doing you know, if you say your swim's equivalent also to running a, a marathon or a century ride, that's like doing three century rides in one day. How hard can that be?
0: <laughs> well, you've done it. <laughs> you know all about that.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's I just I figure it's like with the cycling. Ultimately, it's just about perseverance. It's about holding in there and it's about wanting it enough. And I'm a firm believer that as long as you train for these events, you'll be fine. I've never been able to understand people who don't train properly for events because I just think it must be awful being in all that pain afterwards. And Why would you not train for it? Part of the enjoyment of the event is the training for it beforehand.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. Certainly. That's part of the lifestyle. It's the reason to do it. And One of the things I like to point out is that when you have an event to look forward to, it encourages you to train. So for me, it's sometimes the motivation that I need to go out and do more so that I'll be ready to do what I really want to go do. And how healthy is that? That's great.
1: Definitely. So my goal this year is in total to cycle 20,000 miles. So just short of the circumference of the globe.
0: Uh, (laughs) Now, one of
1: the reasons that I'm doing that, I know, one of the reasons I'm doing that is because they hold a um, competition a pole position at Brands Hatch so Brands Hatch is basically a Le Mans style run from one side of the other of the track before mounting your bike and starting and I want to be up the front there Um, last year I was the second person I was beaten by a friend of mine Lee Christie for distance ridden this year I'm going to be up the front
0: (laughs) so if you have the most miles ridden in the previous year then you get the front position to run to the bike
1: you get the front position for the miles ridden from January the 1st through to September.
0: Okay. So I've
1: got a lot of mileage to be covering.
0: <laughs> that's so fun. So, Gina, tell us about the goals that you have set for this year that are going to help to equip you for what you're going to do for the race across America.
1: So for this year, I have um, three main goals. I'm riding three 24-hour races, um, and that's Le Mans, Revolve, and Mersey, because I want to be in the top five ladies for the Ultramarathon Cycling Association 24-Hour Distance League. Um, so basically, they take your top three events, the mileage from them, and add them together, and it's the lady with the longest distance over those three events. Unfortunately, quite a lot of the endurance events are actually in America, so I won't be attending those, but I plan to to be in those top five international ladies. I've also got London, Edinburgh, London this year, um at the end of july which i said earlier is 900 miles and i intend to knock that out over three days and i want that everesting title which eluded me last year from revolve so they're my three main goals um and they're sort of my preparation towards getting towards ram and riding those longer distances and back-to-backing long days
0: you know some people start a sport and they enjoy it a lot in the beginning and then they, it kind of becomes familiar and they get a little bit bored. And then they want to try something else. And I think that's wonderful. You know, that's that's the way a lot of people are. But it seems to me that when you latch on to something, you really hang on to it. Do you ever get bored with biking and think, why am I still doing this? Or is it just always exciting for you?
1: It's always exciting for me. Um, I, I don't think until I've reached the top of whatever it is that I can reach, um, I don't think I'll ever get bored of it. The thing that drives me is bettering myself. And as I said before, I don't think that I'm a wonderful athlete in my own right. In fact, I don't even count myself as an athlete. All I'm looking for is to be the best that I can be. And I suppose when I reach the best that I can be, then, then that will be enough for me. And perhaps I'll look to move on to something else. But at the moment, there's so much sort of still coming from the sport there's so many things that I, I want to do you know once i've looked at ram then i've thought about things for example like um you know doing some sort of long tour on my own so there's there's so much still out there for me i couldn't imagine myself ever getting bored and even when i ride down the same roads which as you can imagine i do an awful lot around right. here um even when i ride down the same road it's it's a different day it's something different you know i always enjoy myself i'm always smiling when i'm on my bike
0: I like to think about, with any given sport, what the barriers to entry are. And sometimes there's cost, sometimes there's time, um, and then there's a risk factor. And I know with road biking, you end up driving in traffic, riding in traffic quite a bit. Um, What would you have to say for someone who says, I don't know if I'm comfortable being out there with the cars?
1: I ride a lot of dual carriageways. Um, I have to. Some of those dual carriageways are 70 miles an hour because of where I live. Wow. I have been unfortunate enough to have a couple of accidents, but you can't let it put you off. If there's something that you want to do and something that you love or that even you think you might love, you can't let it put you off. Life is far, far, far too short to give up on things before you've started um, and to worry about things. I mean, obviously, it's always a calculated risk. I never go out without my helmet on and my helmet has saved me. I've had Three big accidents, two with cars and, and one with the cat that ran out in front of me. And my helmet saved me every time. Mm. But life is far too short to ever just give up on things. So I'd say to people, persevere, make yourself as visible as possible. Um, I use lights during the daytime. I have a very, very good high-vis jacket that I wear at night because obviously I cycle a lot on my own in the dark So and sometimes down country roads. So I have to be really visible. And I just think... you. You know, it's a bit about calculated risk. You, you have to take the risk, but you just have to minimise it as much as possible.
0: Do you find yourself, when a car is approaching from the rear really fast, do you find yourself sometimes wanting to just get off the road?
1: So no, I don't get intimidated by fast cars. I tend to get intimidated more by noisy cars, so the t- typical souped-up boy racer cars, and especially more so on quiet country roads in the dark than I do on big, larger roads that are well lit. Um, and I just, I try not to think about it too much because as I said, it would, it would affect you and you wouldn't want to do it. Um, But I can understand why people might be nervous of it. But there's always other alternatives. So, for example, um, in certain areas, you've got a really good cycling network, like in central London. I was up there the other day cycling and there's an amazing superhighway of cycle path. So there are there are other options around it. But I truly believe that actually you're safer on the faster, bigger roads than you are on the quiet country lanes.
0: You know what I really like about this, and and I have to give credit to the UK for supporting it, is that the reason that you started biking in the first place was because of this Bike to Work program. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, it's a really amazing um, deal, and I don't think enough people know about it. In fact, I'm actually um, going to be doing some work with Tesco's to help promote it within our company. You can imagine we've got like 650,000 staff Mm. um, and... uh, there's there's lots of potential out there for people to find out about it, and it, it's such a good scheme because it's it's basically an interest free loan that you pay back from um, salary deductions each month. It's also tax free, so you don't pay any tax on the bike. So there are massive savings to be had, and it promotes obviously staff um, healthy health. Sorry, promotes good staff health, which in its own right is you know as an employer is, is really good. Um, I think I read somewhere that cyclists take. I think it's one day off in five years, as opposed to normal people that might take six or seven days off in five years with sickness. So it's really good in that respect. Yeah. Um, And certainly, as I employ quite a few people, obviously that's you know a good strong workforce is a good thing to me, and also it helps pollution, which has got to be good. We're always striving for um, a reduced carbon footprint, and that's a way forward with it.
0: It's kind of funny. I uh, I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but in the US it's become quite popular for people to do what they call cleanses. And this would be a sort of a diet where you go on a special diet for a week or so and you do um, special things to try to get your body free of all toxins and and uh, to kind of refresh it and get it off to a, a fresh start. The reason I bring that up is that I have found that distance biking is similar to that. It, it's for some reason you drink so much water while you're biking And it seems like your body just flushes out all of those toxins. And after a long ride, I feel better than I feel otherwise. Have you experienced that too?
1: Yes, definitely. And I don't just think it's about the physical side. I also think it's about the mental side. I'm a strong believer in positive mental attitude and how much that can do for you in terms of being fit and staying healthy. And, I think because cycling obviously releases stress, it promotes endorphins, I think that that, that's a massive factor in it too. It's not just the the physical side. But I do believe you're right, and I certainly look after my diet better than I did before I was cycling. I don't drink as much alcohol anymore. Not because I don't enjoy drinking alcohol, but just purely because I don't enjoy um, cycling on a hangover.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. Gina, do you have a fun story about cycling something that either when something went wrong or when things went really right that you would like to tell us to close out the show today
1: okay it's quite a short one but when i was at revolve um 24 last year i was in my pit lane garage and i was there i got there ridiculously early it was a real rookie mistake i think i was there at seven o'clock in the morning and this event didn't start till three o'clock so i'd set my garage up i had all my equipment in there my mechanic had set all his tools up and he walks this chap And um, he was sharing the garage with me. I didn't know who he was. And he said to me, um, sorry, I said to him, I'm really sorry. I've taken up all the electric points, but you're more than welcome to use my power plugs. And he said to me, oh, that's kind of you. Thank you. He said, are you riding? And I said, yes. Are you? And he said, yes. And then basically the paparazzi came in and it turned out it was Jason Kenny, And I had no idea. (laughs) Thank God I didn't offer him any tips or advice. It would be really embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> really embarrassing
0: that's funny you know that's part of the joy of taking up any adventure sport is the people that you meet along the way that's really fun
1: yeah definitely are so
0: true yeah well thank you so much for sharing your world of cycling with us and i really enjoyed hearing about it and congratulations for all of your achievements and for your major goals that you've set i wish you all the best and i will be watching and waiting to hear all these turn out Thank
1: you very much, Kurt. I'll keep
0: you informed. Oh, you bet. And once you've done a few more of these races, we need to have you back on so we can hear the outcomes. But thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much, Kurt.
0: And for all of our listeners out there, as always, I always say it, get out there and have some fun. Maybe this time it's on a road bike. Hey, check out Gary Collins' new book, Going Off the Grid, the how-to book of simple living and happiness. Now available in Amazon and Kindle format at primalpowermethod.com.